Welcome to this brand new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Mark van Horek and myself, Elias Krum, and brought to you by Marketing Guys, the MarTech agency based out of the Netherlands. Welcome to this new episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to have John Wall, who is one of the producers of the Marketing Over Coffee podcast. I'm a, I'm a big fan of your show. Um, you're hosting that together with uh, Christopher, Christopher Pan. You're also a partner at Trust Insight and uh, an, imp- an important thing, an author of the Marketing Over Coffee playbook and the B2B Marketing Confession. So it's a lot of stuff to talk about with you, John, today. Uh, welcome to this episode. Uh, could you in- introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, sure. Thanks, uh, Elias and Mark. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, my name is John Wall. I'm the, as you said, co-host of Marketing Over Coffee. It's a marketing and tech podcast that I've done with Christopher Penn for, we're going on 15 years now. And uh, over time, I've done a bunch of startups, probably seven startups now over the past couple of decades. I'm, I'm older than uh, I don't feel as old as I am, thankfully. And um, over the past three years, the podcast has spun up so much that it made sense when Christopher Penn spun off to start Trust Insights with the CEO there, Katie Robert, that I actually ended up joining them. And the podcast has become one of our best lead gen programs and is an integral part of what's going on at Trust Insights, where we help our clients dig through data and find out you know, what they need to be doing next and, and how they can become more predictive in their marketing. And so that's uh, that's the elevator pitch. I won't get too salesy here, but that's uh, at least what I've got going on today. Love it. So digging through data, and that's what we're going to talk about today, because digging through data is getting a little more difficult these days. So we're going to talk about the future of marketing, um, given the fact that privacy becomes more and more important, new uh, the new iOS recently came out in which uh, there is a lot of privacy um, uh, constraints for marketers. So we need to talk about that, John, today. So um, what, in short, you know, what, what, where do you think marketing is heading? Yeah, it's a great question, isn't it? Because we kind of had this golden age where there was so much data out there and it was all free and easy to get. And there were a lot of things you could do where you could just go grab piles of data and do a lot of broadcast type stuff. You know, you could, we kind of joke here in the States that we call that spray and pray marketing, where you just get a huge list and you just start hammering it. And that's really begun to dry up. And there's a bunch of reasons why that's come to pass. Um, but the landscape has completely changed. And so what we're looking for for the future is the ability to, um, instead of just grabbing all this data and kind of, you know, imposing yourself on everybody, doing a better job of collecting the data and analyzing it more so that you can get closer to that one-to-one experience. You know, you, you're not sending out 20,000 emails, you're sending out, you know, a hundred emails and they're all very specific to the people that are receiving them. So you're able to come up with a more relevant message. You're able to identify who the real fans are and have meaningful conversations with them. And there's just, it's the way that you have to go now. Cause unfortunately all of the easy opportunities to get in front of a huge audience have pretty much been locked down. In fact, we don't even talk about social media networks anymore, really, because they're just media outlets. You know, you pretty much have to buy advertising to get in front of them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the state of data. There's again, it's it's not as much free stuff. It's more work, but the ability and opportunity for you to get in front of the right people and create better customer experience is definitely there. And that that whole movement in Europe already started 
in 2018 when the yeah, whole the GD GDPR. GDPR laws were enforced. Uh, you guys didn't have to do too much with it in the U.S. yet. Uh, although in California there are some X as well, of course. But um, you know that whole GDPR uh, that law in 2018 when it came up, we had a lot of customers, mainly marketing managers, marketers from all kinds of departments that had huge piles of email addresses that they were sending bulk emails to every day. And now all of a sudden they had to get opt-ins, etc. So kind of a similar movement as what we're seeing in the Apple iOS new changes now. Um, so I, I I really think that um, when you look at back on it, it only improved marketing. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, well, the first in, in, um, idea in May 2018 was that everybody freaked out. So everybody was sending, uh, hey, uh, I've got your name on our mailing list, but uh, do, you, do you want to give us permission for that so that we can send <laughs> even more mails? And it was all that kind of stuff, but what I've noticed that several of our customers, they slashed their mailing list with about 75% and the results were better. <laughs> so what they, there, there was a lot of dead wood. I call them zombies. Those are contacts that are on your list and are not doing anything. Get, get rid of them. And the thing is, before GDPR, there was no incentive. Just let, Because it's data, just let it, let it be. And now we say, no, 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 get rid of those zombies because they can bite back. And then you, you've got no, absolutely no use. But the only thing is you can only have negative things. And as I said, one of the customers said, well, we slashed it with 75% and we're actually having better results. And I said, well, you only have the ones that are really interested. And now you're building relationships with those and you're, you're not you're not spamming the zombies and um, and that's actually also good for your reputation so in that end things are are going the right way but it is a different um, a different change in a different st state of mind of mindset yeah absolutely it's more work i mean that's really the the truth of it because i know at many places i've been it's just like you said you have these lists and you've got all these bounces and all these problem addresses and you're just well just leave them in the drunk drawer for mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. and now yeah you have to take the time to clean things up and 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 you know get things in order so do you actually think that all this new these new rules and all regulations combined with all the technology that marketers have nowadays actually improve the quality of marketing? Oh, yeah, on a, a bunch of fronts. And I think um, the rest of the world, and especially Netherlands and places, you know, on your side of the, the ocean have done a better job of respecting just kind of general privacy. Like I know when I talk to people in other parts of the world, they're just astounded that we have spammy texts, you know, like we are, that's a thing over here in the States is that you, you will get unsolicited text messages. Um, and the rest of the world is just like, I can't believe you guys have crossed the line. You know, you're ruining what's going on there. You do and that? So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it? Yeah. I was going to say people are shocked when they hear about that. Yeah. It's not a ton, but I mean, I will get four or five a week that are completely unsolicited, you know, kind of Nigerian prince kind of stuff. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. We've got that one too. I, I've got a, a couple of that I know as well, you know, or, or they know me. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You can't get rid of them no matter how hard you try. Um, but yeah, well, it, it's funny. There's 
one, it definitely makes better marketers, right? You need to do a better job managing your data. You need to do a better job with creative. You need to be relevant. You need to understand all the different segments of customers. You know, certain people want certain things. And it's if they're coming in to buy, that's very different from they're already a customer and they're looking for support or help versus if they're looking to leave or expand. Like all those audiences want different things and need to be served possibly in different ways. It is a little unfortunate in that I think we're going to lose some of the ad targeting. You know, people are so concerned about privacy that they don't want to give out a lot of information. And I think as a result, the the ads that they're going to be given are going to be less relevant. And they're going to be, you know, it's kind of, it's not going to be like it was, you know, when banner ads started and everybody got the mortgage ads and the, um, you know, just kind of all these junk ads, but it is going to be a little bit less targeted. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the tools are there. The other thing that's huge is I think a lot of the the social networks and search engines are doing such a good job at identifying cohorts and people that behave in a similar manner that I think, you know, overall advertising and getting content in front of the right people, the ability to do that is going to continue to improve because it's in everybody's best interest to get people the content that they want and that they're going to respond to. So there's a bunch of areas where uh, yeah, things are just, you're going to have a better time telling your story. You're going to be able to get more effective results. And yeah, unfortunately, you're going to have to do the cleanup as you go to. Yeah, it's going to be much more contextual, I guess. So it's not very much geared to a identifiable person. It's more the contextual uh, of a group of people that are showing the same behaviors. Is that what we're going through? Yeah, absolutely. You know who's big on that? Um, Matt Sweezy, who's over at Salesforce now. His um, his book was actually the the context revolution, I think, if I remember that correctly. And yeah, it's you totally see this. We see this with all the apps that we use, right? It's like all these fitness apps and health apps are giving us data that is just for us. You know, it's completely dialed down to you personally, how you slept last night, um, you know, how much you worked out, or if it's a shopping app, it's focused on exactly what you're buying. A great example is I just got a new projector. I built this on the cheap home theater in my house, and I had a projector that was around 200 bucks that I've been watching and just had on my list. And a couple of days ago, uh, my Amazon smart assistant actually said, Hey, that projector you want on the list is $75 off today. Do you want us to go grab you one? And it's just amazing that, you know, it had the foresight to know that that, that was on my list. That's what I wanted. And, and the same thing for the seller too, right? They're able to say, Hey, we're going to do a promotion. What would happen if we lowered the price to this? And Amazon can actually give them data back as far as, well, here's what we think would happen based on everybody, you know, the number of people that have this on their list and where they want to go. So um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, very much more targeted and able to kind of get more things done that were never possible before. I also think that, especially what you're pointing out now, that this is going to help you to get a better deal, that that it's going to be more tailored toward your demands, um, that, that it will take some time for people to find out. Because what we're going through now is that you're getting less personalized ads, so you're getting a lot of irrelevant stuff because of privacy issues. I think the same happened in, in the supermarket um, a mar a market as well, uh, uh, like 20 years ago. I still remember when um, over here in the Netherlands, we had the introduction of a, um, it, it was like a, a sh personal shopping cart with uh, one of the big supermarket chains, um, Aholt or Albert Heijn in the, in the, in the so it's, it's comparable to one of, well, it's, it's not a Walmart, but you know, let's say you get a Walmart cart and there were a lot of 
people protesting against those customer cards because uh, all of a sudden um, the people over at the supermarket, the marketers could see what you were buying, what kind of stuff you were uh, liking. Um, they also included later on some stuff in the apps that, you know, if you ran their app and would be in the supermarket, you would be recognized. You, they would could see where you were going. The thing is that even after 20 years, the only personalized stuff I get from all that data is that <laughs> like they, once a week I get an email with personalized um, personalized actions or personalized products that 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 are discounted that week that's the that's the only thing they can digest from all that data so i think you know people a lot of people are are fearful for let's say what marketers can do with the data but on the other hand a lot of marketers don't even know how to use that data i think yeah i i completely agree it's 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 a lot of data harvesting because we can do it it's it because it's possible we we do it uh, but the whole thing is, is if you make it personalized and it's not in a non-invasive way, because non-Mr. Creepy, like to put it that way, then then it can actually be of a very much value. And it's not that people don't want to give you the data. It's more that they do not know what they get in uh, in return. and And it's all very... Oh, I don't know. Say in stealth mode, you don't see it, and you and you hear all these stories. So people become, of course, very um, very wary, reluctant think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for that. But if you put it the right way, and it and convenience is is uh, combined with uh, yeah with with added value, then yeah, then it's it's more logical to do it. A lot of people don't see it, and I quite honestly, I agree with you, Elias. A lot of companies are not making the best of this. No, the other thing is, I think that um, uh, John also pointed that out that in the U.S., uh, some stuff is allowed that it's not allowed in in uh, in Europe. Um, that even goes to um, I think Facebook ads targeting. Uh, I've done some some campaigns in the U.S. I have to say, it was a couple of years ago. I don't know if that's still. The case you you could refer to it uh, better than I do probably John but um, if if I'm targeting in the Netherlands um, or in Europe and I would like to to sell dog food I could I could target dog owners based on their interests um, in the U.S. even those customer cards are connected so you could even see which brands they buy and you could could add that to your audience list is that still possible. No, yeah, there's been a huge crackdown on the Facebook side. It, it used to be, yeah, you there was, yeah. we talk about this golden age, there was a time where you could upload a customer list to Facebook, and then you could do a small targeted ad to maybe 100 people, and mm -hmm. you'd even be able to back solve who those people actually were. And so, yeah, the doors have completely closed on a lot of that stuff. I think you can even still upload a targeted list maybe, but they have it set. So like, it's gotta be at least a thousand. So you're not able to drill down and, and get to that. And it, all this stuff is so funny. I, I, it's just so interesting because it's really, it comes down to trust, right? Because it's such a joke, really. Everybody's concerned about privacy, but the reality is, you know, you've got your mobile phone, you've got a credit card, so you're being tracked 24-7, like somebody anyhow. along the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, right, they know where you're at. And then even in the grocery store, too, talking about the app, well, they've got the point of sale, right? They've got the register, and they've got what you paid with, so they do know every single thing that you've bought, but they just 
you know, that gets back to Mark's point of like, it's so much work to mine that stuff and have a process to get in there that people don't take advantage of it. But yeah, it is just funny, this dance we have to do of kind of convincing people. And of course, the, the easy win is if you just make it a valuable trade. Like I know that we have a warehouse club here and every week I get a bunch of coupons and it's amazing. You know, they send a big book of coupons where it's 200 coupons and I buy six of the things, but then they mail me a small mailer, that, a sheet of paper that has 12 coupons and I have bought, you know, 11 of the 12 or whatever. And so now that that's a real great, um, you know, making it obvious to me that, okay, yeah, they're grabbing all my data, but here's something that I'm getting for it and makes it worthwhile. Uh, yeah. I think that that's, you, you, you hit the, how you say that? The, the, the nail on the head. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure that that, I think it's a Dutch expression, but anyhow, the thing is, is that you, as, as long as I can see that I'm getting value back and then then it's then it's worthwhile to, to to give that data because you know what's in it for me you, you I'm getting I'm getting very relevant coupons and you used 11 of the 12 of that so that's very relevant instead of getting a whole bunch of nitwit stuff and just <laughs> and just piling out my my mailbox with with the rest of the nitwit uh, uh, messages. So yeah, using data in the right way and using technology on the, let's say, empathetic way, the more human way, uh, that's what I think is the way to go. You can't say goodbye to technology, but if technology rules and not the people, then we're going in the wrong direction, then becomes creepy. But if you do it the other way around, you've got the person as the center point of using all your technology and the customer is in customer centric yeah, to put it that way, then technology can be very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, you know, the ultimate goal. If you can become a better, more empathetic person and deal with your customers in a way that they're getting more of what they want, everybody's getting value out of it. But it's really, it's, it's amazing how, this is all powered by technology, yet it's all art and human behavior. Like you really need smart people who are willing to talk to other people and kind of learn and figure out what they want to do. And so, yeah, that's uh, this is not anything that's going to be automated anytime soon. Cool. So, hey, John, we we are on the uh, technology podcast uh, after all. So, and and you talk to all kinds of marketers and people, and you interview a lot of people on your podcast on marketing technology. So what kind of marketing technology stacks or what kind of software platforms should marketers start using, knowing that this marketing is going to be more one-on-one or more customer-centric? Yeah, that's a great question. And really, you know, all the tools are out there right now. And it's a matter of you know, your first priority needs to be to keep the data clean. I mean, we can talk about all this cool analysis and machine learning and predictive marketing, but unless your data is in order, you can't do any of it. You know, you're not going to get reliable results. So as far as stacks, we see that there's a progression that most organizations now tend to follow. So in the beginning, you're using a basic CRM system. And I just say basic in that it only solves like a few certain problems. Um, you know, Salesforce and HubSpot are great examples of those because they solve a few problems when you put them in, and yet they're still um, extensible and integratable to, you know, a bunch of other tools. So you can kind of start with those and get into other places. And then for most organizations, having some kind of email marketing automation is also, you know, really important. 
And so you start with those basics, that's your foundation. And then from there, hopefully you start to do some experimentation where you are, you know, trying new things as far as adding more either machine learning or types of campaigns. And at some point, you know, you, for, I only know numbers from that I've seen like from VCs here in the States, but when companies get to like a $20 million mark, then you kind of start to cross over and maybe you're not going to have a single CRM, but instead you're going to have some kind of centralized data platform, whether it's a, uh, you know, one of these um, CDPs or a customer data pro- platform mm-hmm. or a data lake or, you know, whatever you want to call this, where you have a single database where all of the other tools that are cloud-based feed into that. And so you have this one repository that you can do analysis against and you've got all your data in one spot. So that's kind of two levels of, of where those things go. And there, yeah, there's a ton of tools, you know, that that go along that spectrum. Um but an easy one is, you know, as far as cutting edge stuff, it's interesting that Google Analytics 4 has the ability to pump everything right into BigQuery. And so, you know, for not a ton of money, a lot of mid-sized organizations are going to have the ability to create these data stores that they can take action against and, and leverage. And so, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time as far as the the tools. And the, yeah, there's going to be no shortage of um, growth and experimentation and evolution over the next couple of years in this space. Absolutely. So one of the things you pointed out there is data integrity. And that's absolutely one of the things that Mark and I in daily practice are talking about every day, because there are so many tools and all marketers in B2B, B2C, they're using all these tools that are producing huge amounts of data. And in the end, well, we talked about it earlier on this podcast, but um, you know, you, you don't know what to do with the data. It's all you know, piling up. You don't know which email addresses you can still email, which ones you can't email anymore, which have which one have uh, maybe asked to be forgotten or whatsoever. Um, so that data integrity really is uh, one of the things that I think is going to be a huge topic in 2022. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, well, the first, the, the term that came up in my mind is Babylonia. And Babylonia is, of course, that biblical thing that we all speak different languages. And if you uh, do, because we do quite some uh, integrations, especially with marketing automation with CRM. And I often see that the, the, the same data have different names, different field names, different <laughs> values. And we're talking about the same thing. But the one is more from a sales or account part, and the marketing automation is more from the individual contact person part, and that is taking ages to get that aligned so they speak the same language. Now you can imagine if you want to uh, integrate another four, five, six, seven, eight other MarTech tools, and they all have a different approach. So uh, one of my curious questions is, is, Will the CDP be the holy grail to be one central uh, data one language or, data? Yeah. Will that will that improve this this whole issue? And and is that from a privacy standpoint? Was where you started a little bit. Uh, is that also the way to go? What is what is your view on that, John? Yeah, it it's just so difficult because. That kind of project is definitely a multi-year, you know, probably million millions of dollars project. And at least here in the States, the churn is so great 
that, you know, employees tend to only stay at places for three to four years. I mean, and I'm sure you guys see this as an outside agency too. We have clients where we know more about their marketing Mm -hmm. stack and the way the data works than anybody in their organization. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. Because we started, you know, five years ago or seven years ago with somebody there and we built the whole thing with them and got it all working and running and can run the reports. And then, you know, of course they've built this fantastic thing. So they're able to jump somewhere else to get a job that pays, you know, 40% more. And, um, and so they leave and, and you kind of lose that. So, yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting. You know, at times I think maybe will there be something like, you know, there was this WSDL web services directory where there was a central repository where it said, Hey, for all the fields and all the systems, like this is what they mean over in your thing. But really somebody needs to have the incentive to build that. And then it's so difficult to, you know, get other vendors to buy into that and, and to take part of that. So I, something like that could definitely happen. And I think it's just going to be a matter of the vendors that are building these, um, you know, data lakes or customer data platforms or whatever is just going to become a shootout of like, okay, so we're looking at four vendors you know, this one here integrates to 35 of the 50 things we have in our stack. This one only integrates to 10. You know, this one integrates to 25, but they've been adding five a month. And so you will just kind of go with who's got it. But yeah, it's definitely a free-for-all. And I think trying to build it in-house is just way too difficult and too much of a challenge. We, you know, unfortunately, you have to rely on the vendors to be able to put a lot of this stuff together. Because like another example is, um, you know, these web-based tools where you can go ahead and build your own just kind of integrations that live out there on the fly. Um, and those work, but it's definitely a patchwork of craziness. And, and maybe that's the place where we'll see people build tools where, you know, kind of the 20 best integrations on that platform should just become a standard package set. You know, that, that might be a way that it spins up. Yeah, one of the things we had a discussion with Scott Brinker some time ago and, um, and he's busy. I think he's still busy on it. Uh, don't get me wrong. But he was working on a, like an ecosystem from the HubSpot platform. And that was a little bit uh, what these uh, bigger platforms, I'm talking like Salesforce, Marketo, uh, uh, and HubSpot, that they are gathering all kinds of smaller add-ons, modules around it so that they are creating like an ecosystem so it's not something that will do everything, what I just was referring at, because that's a little bit like no, nirvana at this moment. <laughs> um, but do you also see that uh, there are coming these marketing ecosystems that try to do something similar, but within the realm of one vendor, of one platform? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's so they're just following the Salesforce playbook there. That's an established, and really that's a business move. That's a platform move. Okay. Because you, so Salesforce, how they started that you had the app exchange, right? You Mm -hmm. allow everybody to come list their tool on your open directory. Mm -hmm. And then of course, now you have all the data. So they go and they look and they say, oh, okay. These four tools here have added 10,000 users over the past year. Let's go invest in them. And I know Salesforce even goes as far as they have an incubator where if you're a great partner, you know, you can go to their building, they will fund you, they will get you up and running. And then, yeah, once you hit like $20 million, you end up getting acquired by Salesforce and they just roll those features in. And then that feeds the bigger model of by making acquisitions every other quarter, 
you know, you're kind of bulletproof as far as your stock price, because then you can go back and say, yeah, the stock is down this quarter. That's because we finished these three acquisitions and this money, it went out the door. And so, yeah, HubSpot is just playing right from the playbook, but they did a master move in grabbing Scott Brinker because uh-huh. he's been covering MarTech, you know, his, yeah. he has hundreds of thousands of MarTech vendors and tools on his radar. So yeah, that, that was a fantastic play for, for both of them really. Yeah, and I also think to to add to that is that um, companies and marketers that that are selecting MarTech tools at the moment have a different priority than let's say three years ago. So three years ago, um, a lot of like there was of course a lot of uh, the the adoption of marketing automation was way lower. So in in the meanwhile, uh, I think seventy percent of companies in B two B already have like marketing automation. Um, a couple of years ago, when they were selecting these kinds of systems, they would come to a uh, vendor or to an agency and ask them, what can it do? What are the specifics? You know, Can it do lead nurturing? Can it do lead scoring? Can it do drip campaigns whatsoever? At the moment, one of the first questions we get is how does it integrate to in- into our other solutions? So that's yeah. like a, that became a top priority when selecting a new tool or selecting a replacement tool. Yeah, they're looking much more uh, ahead now. Instead of just I won't, I I've got a problem now and I need to solve it now. Now there's they're looking much more ahead. They say, okay, I've got all these tools. So how can I prevent to be in some situation in a few years' time where I regret using or acquiring this tool? So integration is indeed a, a very important part now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny how there there's a lot of layers to that now. Yeah, and you you nailed it in that the market is very mature. You know, because it used to be you would just buy the one that worked best, but now it's amazing because like you can be looking at three or four vendors. And another interesting stat too, aside on this, is we Chris and Katie ran some numbers recently about how you know only five percent of the people we talk to are in the market at any one time. If if you're lucky, if you're in a fertile um, area. Uh, but we totally see that when you're shopping for these tools, yeah, there's five of them and they could all work and do a good job. So you have to dig down in further and you say, okay, well, you know, this one here integrates to five other things that we need. And this other one is missing two of those. And so that would create a lot of more additional effort in the background to get those to work. And you have to even dig further because it's not enough for them just to say it integrates. Like you have to dig down and see how good is the integration because some people will call a one a single direction integration an integration. You know, just if you send something in Salesforce and that data gets pushed out to a customer, you know, a procurement thing, a, a sale closes, like they'll call that an integration. But maybe that integration doesn't take the sale data and pump it back up into Salesforce. You know, it might be only one direction and they'll still call that an integration. So, yeah, you have to do the heavy lifting of diving down in there and testing out those integrations and make sure they're bi-directional and that they really work. And the other crazy one is how do those, do you get charged for those integrations? Like there's vendors who will charge you for every single time the data passes hands. I had a, uh, got kicked in the head with a $20,000 um, integration fee from a vendor that we were normally paying like two grand a month, but uh, we ran a couple queries that ended up making a million calls. And yeah, I had a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, John, I've got one curious question. You started this whole uh, podcast and, and Eliza and I are also podcast fans. Um, and you said, um, 
podcast is for you a big lead gen platform, meaning that this uh, marketing of coffee um, is not just an, a nice place where you talk about things and get to know, know interesting people. This actually drives also revenue for your business. Was that, yeah. I- Absolutely. And, but the thing is, it's, in fact, lead gen is not the right word for it. It's definitely branding Yeah, um, because it, yeah. And I had never thought about this, but it's just, the whole purpose of the show was that, um, yeah, this is like going back, like people like that are years. in their, tw- <laughs> yeah, yeah. 15 years. But so people today don't even comprehend like what it was like without all of these social networks and all these tools. I mean, Going back just before the podcast, I had started blogging too on marketing stuff. And that was because it was the first time that I could actually talk to people. You know, I would never meet you guys in the Netherlands. Like we would not be able to sit down and talk about SEO and ads and stuff like that. There would just be no way for us to find each other. And and so the joke always was I started the podcast because my family doesn't want to hear from me at the holidays. Like they have no interest in <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. marketing. And so, so the podcast was always about building this community where people could, you know, talk and hear discussions of stuff they wanted to talk about that nobody else would want to talk about. And so fast forward now today, we've been in these situations where we sit down with a prospective client and they're talking to two other consulting companies, you know, these big accounting firms here in the States where they've, you know, they're going to get charged millions of dollars and they're going to have a team of a thousand people. And they say, no, we want to talk with you. We've been listening to you guys for 10 years. We know you and trust you. And you know, we're not going to go with these other firms because we know who you are and we want to do business with you. And yeah, so that's just been an unexpected benefit, but it's just been amazing how we've been able to kind of get into places. And there's people who want to work with us just because you know they've been listening to us for so long and they're fans of the show. Yeah, well, we, we, we experienced the same thing. Um, and I've been following Chris Walker with State of Dimension. And those those podcasts are so full of value and uh, they're interesting to listen to. So you actually binge these these podcasts. (laughs) Um, But the best thing is, is that you are establishing trusted relationships. A lot of listeners, they might not even buy from you. That's not the whole intention, but they become to trust you trust you that much that they will refer you to somebody else, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore you build, build your authority. But it's very difficult to, to measure that, to attribute that. And um, I believe that having a podcast is really something that is very valuable, but a lot of people don't see that. On the other hand, that's good. Keeps us a little bit. <laughs> yes, right. Plus, Fine with a tight market. Give you some exclusivity. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 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 good. To, sometimes customers of us uh, ask us as well. You know how much how much uh, euros do you re- uh, attribute to, to your uh, to your podcast? Yeah, what's the ROI? What's the ROI podcast? in your podcast? So you can trip. You can that's it. Measure that like you're doing that in Google Analytics. So podcast statistics are uh, a little let's say simple to say anyway. So, but you know, I, I, I loved having you on the podcast, John. So I'm looking forward for your next episode on uh, the marketing over cup coffee. So listeners go check it out. If you're not subscribed to it yet, go, go ahead and find it on your platform. Um, John, I loved having you. So it would be great having you back in, in the future. And uh, thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you, marketing guys. I appreciate it. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Marketing Technology Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform or iTunes. Also, if you want to be a guest or know someone that should be a guest to our show, shoot me an email on e.crum at marketingguys.nl. Thank you for listening.